You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Hey, Hey, thanks so much. You may be seated. Hello to our friends on Zoom. My name is Bill White. My pronouns are he, him. I'm one of the co-pastors here at City Church of Long Beach, where we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. And we're glad we get to do that together. Um, We, in particular, like to pray over our kiddos. We think kids are pretty fantastic. Uh, And so one of our kids' team is going to pray for us. I don't know. Is it going to be Charmaine? Yeah, great. Come on down, Charmaine. If you'd welcome Charmaine Sumner, she prays for our kids. Let's pray. Dear God, thanks so much for our kids. May you bless their time in Kidsmen, bless their week, and may they know how much they're loved by everyone around them and by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, kiddos. If you want to go and hang out with Charmaine and Ming and the crew, you're more than welcome to do so. And if you would welcome Brenna Rubio. Our other fearless co-pastor. Yes, so good to be with all of you again this morning. Um, So we have started a new series that's going to really take us towards the Christmas season uh, called A More Human Spirituality, where we're going to be looking into the book of Hebrews and really looking for exactly what that title says, A More Human Spirituality, because for many of us, spirituality can feel like something very far off very either it's heady or it's other it's disembodied something that is just not practical or or real or tangible in our everyday lives and so we want to we want to look at where maybe we're being invited into something different something more human more tangible more real and touchable so to start off today uh I've invited one of our friends, Selene Zazueta, to come and share with us a little bit. This is a little different. I know we often do our interviews, you know, farther on uh, into our time together, but um, we just have to hear from Selene starting out today because there's just no better better way to do this. So would you guys welcome up our friend Selene with with me? Woo-woo! <laughs> Selene is so gracious in letting me bring her up because um, she and I have had some great like one-on-one. Yeah, here we're gonna we're gonna bring you up where people can see you. And she's being so gracious because center stage is not necessarily her favorite place to be. Um, but I just, as soon as I read our passage for today, all I kept thinking was Selene. I love the way that Selene talks about these things, and so I need. I need other people to hear from Selene. Um, so Selene, let's just let people get to know you a little bit and you'll get comfortable, it'll be good. Um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about kind of who you are and how you came to be part of City Church. Jesus. <laughs> um, Help us, yes. I don't know, I think I've been around <laughs> seven, eight years. I think so, because I've been around it for about eight years and I remember yeah. meeting you. You were there towards before the beginning, I was, yeah. but Towards the beginning, yeah. yes. Um, I'm a single mom of two teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in a cottage, Bill's house. Um, <laughs> so Bill's your very close next door neighbor. Yes, very. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I know. What brought you to City Church? 
How Emma, my youngest. Emma. My oldest one, Isabella, was a kids camp. Emma was young to go in to be registered. And as soon as the door opened, she snuck in. Mm -hmm. So I had to chase her down. And she, I found her on stage dancing with Belle. And she said she was dancing with Papa, which is God to her, which was <laughs> funny because I had never talked to my kids about God. I didn't believe in God, didn't talk to him, didn't go to church or any of that. But she found Papa. Mm -hmm. so. And what happened the Sunday after kids camp? Um, I, we were walking to McDonald's and I forgot the church was here and she spotted it. She wanted to go to church and said, dang it, now we're going to church. <laughs> kind of how everybody else feels today. How did you wander in here? Right. Yeah. yeah. How has, I mean, so you were kind of in a place of, man, I don't really do the God thing. How has that shifted over the last few years? Um, especially that first year Emma found City Church, um, we were invited to a retreat up in Big Bear, and mm -hmm. I lose my oldest for like 10 minutes. Didn't know where she was at, nobody had seen her. Finally found her 10 minutes after, which felt like two hours after. Um, she was off talking to God. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I was like, well, how can I not see God or talk or believe in God if my kids do it? Mm. So they're the ones that brought me closer to God or introduced me to God. Mm -hmm. so. And we started seeing you all the time. All the time, because Emma wanted to be here. Uh huh. <laughs> and I remember every once in a while after a sermon, after a Sunday, I'd walk up to you and you'd be like, why are these sermons always for me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like center of attention, like every sermon, they talked about something it's like, are they looking at me? Are they talking about me? <laughs> I just hit home. So. Yeah, so you've been part of the family for quite a while. Unwillingly sometimes. <laughs> and I mean, at this point, you're even you're on our connection team. Like yes. You're one of the leaders yes. here at City Church. I don't know, leader, but I'm there. <laughs> they got free food. So. <laughs> okay, so we've had times you and i where we've sat and we've just been talking about life and and the conversation sometimes goes towards god and spiritual type stuff and you have like a very definite way that you've you've started to get more comfortable thinking about god and particularly god as trinity or like the three persons of god that we talk about sometimes in church and so i wonder just because i find it really wonderful if you could share like how you approach God that way with everybody. Um, goes along with my spiritual journey, not religious at all in any shape, way, or form. Don't read the Bibles, don't come after me. Um, <laughs> but the Holy Trinity is what I live by. So it's God up over here, up in the universe, doing his own thing. And then Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit for me, it's my gut. like right above my belly button that's where like this is wrong this is right go for this go for that that's the holy spirit for me and jesus he's he was human so he's my brother so most of the time I'm like jesus help me out i can't deal with your dad right now so. <laughs> wait i want to i make sure everybody caught that jesus help me out i cannot deal with your dad right now yeah that's kind of who jesus is too okay yes yes so we're always holding hands talking about that too 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I remember a Sunday recently where like you texted me in the middle. I can't remember what we were talking about, but like you texted me, me in the middle of the sermon and we're saying like, sometimes I just can't even with Papa God, like, right? No. Like, oh, this is. His whole game of patience and being the bigger person gets to me. So it's like, Jesus, go deal with your dad because I can't with him right now. Just like um, in the process of becoming a legal resident and it's just so much paperwork and it brings up a lot of emotional stuff with family and everything else. Being a mother to two teenagers is just like, what are you doing to me? So it's like, Jesus, mm -hmm. please translate, intervene, do something. So Jesus, I mean, Jesus as brother yes. is a really important part yes. of your spiritual life. Yes, he's my big brother sometimes. If you didn't have the person of Jesus, like Jesus, this, this, this human one that you get to connect with, how do you think it would change things spiritually for you? Like, would you be able to do it? I don't know. I've always been very spiritual in the sense that I pray to Mother Earth, the universe, the fairies. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It'll be different. It'd be different. Yes. But it's kind of, I'm hearing it's like one of your really primary connection points with God is brother Jesus. Yes. Without yeah. him, I don't think there'll be a connection. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your way of understanding God, Selene. <laughs> I love Sorry. it. Oh, <laughs> don't apologize. Come you guys. Thanks, Selene. <laughs> amazing um you know some of you not many of you i think but some of us may be feeling a little like okay that is a little different than i've heard it preached on the sunday before right you know i'm not sure the so-and-so muckety mucks you know back at the council of whatever a thousand years ago thought of it quite like that the holy spirit above your belly button um but this my friends is a beautiful example of what we might call lived theology embodied theology. Uh, Kat Armis, who is a wonderful kind of newer writer and thinker on the scene, she calls it abuelita theology, the theology that just generations and generations before us have lived and breathed and it's, it's in the dirt. It's real life. It's how we make it through, you know, citizenship struggles and struggles with our kids and, and struggles with our jobs and health and, and all the things, right? This is the ways that we just we really practically in our lives try to understand who is this God and does this God care about us those real life questions, as opposed to sort of abstract philosophical wonderings and trying to make sure everything just lines up neat and tidy on paper there's this sort of radical nun who I enjoy reading sometimes. Her name is Sister Joan Chittister. And she says this, theology is what it is only because centralized churches have such power. If the poor, the women, and the dispossessed sat at the tables where theological decisions are made, there would be a different set of sins. We might even just say a different set of theological understandings. And so today, that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to try to be really practical about God. We're inviting your whole lives to the table to understand who God is. And, and we're really going to be leaning into this idea 
of brother Jesus. Uh, I think our friend Jorge Salmaron is going to come up and read scripture for us this morning as we dive in. Would you welcome Jorge with me? And if you'd like and you're able to stand up in honor of the reading of God's word, we invite you to do that. Zoom, you be comfortable. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call us siblings. People of God, this is the word of God. Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks, Jorge. Hey, Joe, why don't you leave that last scripture up there? I want to talk about that just for a second. So thanks so much. Um, so, so this is our passage. So it's talking about Jesus is the one who makes people holy. And those who are made holy, that's us, we're of the same family. So Jesus isn't ashamed to call us siblings. Jesus is like, hey, I'm in. I'm, I'm brother Jesus. This is how Jesus defines his relationship to us. It's really exactly what Selene was talking about. And, and really, Selene just preached the message, and now we're going to just fill in a couple of the gaps, mm -hmm. right? I mean, really. It's, we're it's, working it's, backwards today. Yeah, we're, we're working backwards. But, but that's what it's like to do theology. And, and so much of what we're interested in as a church is how do you actually do this stuff? Not just have ideas. You think, oh, God is this or God is that. But what do you do with your life? And how do you talk to God? And so this idea that, that Jesus is our mediator, Jesus is our, our sibling, and like, I love somebody like, hey, I can't deal with your dad right now. Would you figure this out? <laughs> like, perf like this, that's good theology. Mm -hmm. That's really good theology. Uh, the scripture says, again, we're in this book of Hebrews, and the author who... Uh, just a reminder, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, and so for this series, because for the last 2,000 years, uh, everyone's called him, him, we are calling her, her, because we don't know who wrote it, and we, so why not her? Why does it have to be a him? We're just trying to balance out 2,000 years of church history. Anyway, so... By making so, one author a woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely wipes it all clean. <laughs> <laughs> so she writes this. She says that Jesus was fully human in every way. Like, Jesus gets us, understands what it's like to be human. And, and later in the same chapter that we're in chapter 2 of Hebrews this week, uh, she writes this. Because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Like, Jesus knows what it's like to go up against stuff. He, he understands your life. And so many of us get, get trapped in these ideas of that, oh, God can't love me or God can't know me. Like, I'm so distant. God is so out there and I'm such a worm. I, I'm so sinful and God is so holy. We, we distance ourselves from God. And the author of Hebrews is, she's trying to help us understand, like, no, 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 no. You've got Jesus. You may not understand Papa God. Okay, I get that. 
but you've got Jesus mm-hmm. right, right in it with you. I was in a uh, conversation with a woman who's from, from out of state, and she's been on this journey of healing because uh, she had a lot of trauma as a child. And she was talking about how she feels in her heart and in her spirit and in her body still, she, she remembers the trauma and it had this huge impact on her. And she, she wrote this, which was so helpful. Um, let me uh, pull up your text. Yeah, here we go. And this is, so she grew up like being the, the good girl, everything, she did everything right and blah, blah, blah. But inside, she felt awful. And she wrote, she wrote this. I didn't think I was worthless. I absolutely knew it. I don't know how to unknow it. Mm. I don't know how to have any sympathy for myself. Mm. Like, I, I didn't think I was unworthy. I didn't think that God was out there. I knew it. Like, I was so far away from what God was. So many of us have that experience where we're just like, I'm, I, am not, I am not all that. I'm so distant. I'm so unworthy. And the author of Hebrews is saying, mm, look at Jesus. Fully human in every way. Just like you. Totally gets the feelings of unworthiness. Totally understands childhood trauma and making a mess out of your life and making a mess out of relationships and all the other things that we do in our, in our lives. He knew how to suffer. Jesus suffered, understands pain. This is, this is brother Jesus. This is the one we get to pray to. Hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, there are two words, especially in even just this this one little verse that really just, for me, they capture so much of what is subversive about this idea of brother Jesus, what, what just flips it all upside down. Uh, and one is that, that last word that Bill was just using right now of holiness. Um, what does it mean when it says that he's making people holy. What does it mean that he's making us holy? Um, For me, that's an interesting word just because I have heard it used in ways that have, to me, I feel like they've pushed me more towards shame and othering and not feeling connected with God or with others. That when I've heard holiness, it's often been this sense of holy people are people who are sort of special. Have some of you heard that? They're set apart. Anybody? That sort of language, right? To be made holy is to be set apart. You're meaning God is setting a people apart for himself, that sort of thing. So there's a sense of purity, right? Because you have to be pure enough to be in connection with God. And if you're pure, well, now you have to be a little fearful that someone's going to get you messy, right? If you're pure, you have to fear contamination. And so again, set apart because that's the best way to not get contaminated 
by all the yucky morals or behaviors, all those sorts of things, right? And this to me was a very uh, weighty, shaming sort of idea. Like, okay, God is making me holy. What if I don't feel holy in that way? What if I, I don't feel pure? I don't, and, and how does that help me connect with the people around me? Well, I, I read a few years ago, <laughs> another uh, definition for what it means to be holy that just completely radically shifted my perspective. And, and I've sort of made a substitution ever since whenever I read that word. So it was Nadia Boltzweber, who particularly was thinking about sexual ethics and the church. But, but this statement goes from there, you know, just totally beyond, because she was thinking about what holiness really is. And her way of defining it was that holiness is about union with, as opposed to purity, which is about separation from. So that a holy God is a God where none of the connections are broken, where everything finds its place, everything is in order, all of these relationships are right and whole and beautiful. And that's what we're being invited into. We're being invited into restoration and renewal. The relationships that are broken for each of us, maybe broken with God, broken our own relationships with ourselves, our relationships with others, that those can be healed. And that we can find this integrity and wholeness and beauty. And so now every time I hear the word holy, what I tend to substitute it with in my head is whole. We are a people who are being made whole. Oh, that just has a completely different feel for me, right? Like I, I want to be made whole. I want to be made whole with God, within myself, with all the people around me. There are absolutely bonds in my life, in the world, I think in all of our lives that need to be healed. And that brother Jesus wants to do that. And it fits so naturally with this family metaphor because that's what a family is, right? It's a system of relationships. It's a partnership. It's a coming together to say we are in this together. We need each other. We love each other. We care for each other. Only together can we be made whole. And the more people we bring in, the wholer we are, right? The more bonds that are healed. So there's a Muharista theologian, uh, Ada Maria Asasi Diaz, and she talks all the time about the kingdom of God. Because Jesus so often, he used this phrase of, phrase of kingdom. It was what he was all about. Like you could just go through the gospels. I mean, the phrase that Jesus talks about really more than any other is the kingdom of God. And when we hear it, we have this tendency that we just hear it as like kingdom, like, yeah, like more like Papa God, that distant God way up on the throne, right? Like judge, maybe a little scary. But when Jesus said it, he actually meant it to be very subversive because he was, he was setting up a contrast. There was the kingdom of Caesar, that kind of way up high up there, ruler, leader, empire, 
hierarchy, a power that was very much over and against, stoking fear and division, separation. There is that kind of kingdom. And we're contrasting that with the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is about family. It's about love, it's support, gentle, gentle, tender care. A leader being someone not who kind of rules from on high, but he was with you right here in the dirt and dust and grit of your life to be with you, to walk with you, to encourage you. It's the kingdom of God, the family of God, radical, welcome and belonging and cooperation, working collectively towards the wholeness, the liberation, the healing of all. Not just a spiritual reality, but an actual in our day-to-day -day lives reality. So we wanted to share just a little picture of how something like that might work. And there are a million different ways we could see these things work, that we could see brother Jesus in the kingdom of God at work in a political protest, uh, in somebody inviting someone over for dinner, so many different ways. But here's, here's one example we're going to put up on the screen in a minute. But let me set up, set up the context. So there are three leader types around City Church. Um, I was actually not part of this exchange, but they've all given me permission to share a bit about it. And they had a meeting set up with each other when one of them texted and said, hey, I'm actually not going to be able to make the meeting today. A conflict's come up at work. And everybody said, oh, okay. You know, I mean, things happen, right? And a little while later, that first person who texted to say that they couldn't make the meeting sent out another text, which we're going to put up here on the screen. Um, so I wanted to let you guys know it's not really a work meeting that's causing me to be rescheduled today. We got some news from my grandma's CT scan that shows she's starting to show signs of Alzheimer's. I'm just not going to be able to be present at our meeting today. And I figured it's probably better that I'm honest. And so one person replies, oh, that's such a heartbreaker. Thank you for sharing. And the original person replies, yeah, I mean, I am. I'm really, I'm really sad. And I'm sorry for rescheduling. And then the, the second sort of person, or third, I guess, involved in the exchange says, oh, I'm so sorry, too. That's so hard. And I hope you can take care of yourselves today. And the original person, thanks, friends. Right now, we're trying to figure out what we can do. Um, so I don't want to presume to know exactly what was happening you know, in the head and the heart of the person who originally said, hey, I can't make the meeting because of this reason, and then later came back and said, actually, I want to be honest with you. But here's some of what I can imagine. And maybe this is just me projecting my own stuff, but I, I think some of you are going to resonate, right? That when we tell those sorts of little lies, we're doing it a bit out of fear, right? Because we don't necessarily in that moment believe ourselves to be part of a family where we just get to be human and we get to sometimes be not doing okay and be sad and tired and not at our best and maybe we start to feel a little shame um, somehow oh i should be doing this i should be that i should be tougher than this 
I don't want to let people down. I don't want them to feel badly of me. What if they get angry at me? All of these things, right? That really we've learned in these environments that are, are not kingdom. They're not family. Well, I guess sometimes we learn them in our family too. Okay, scratch that. <laughs> Where our families are not always operating perfectly as places of belonging and acceptance. But what we're invited to do together is to learn a new way. To be able to say like, hey, as much as sometimes I love to contribute and lead and give, and right at this moment, I don't have that. I'm just sad and I'm tired. And that's just part of being human. And for others to be able to come along and say, of course, we see that. And we can hold you in that sad and tired place. You're part of the family. It's okay. Right, what, what a great picture, right? Of, of what shame does, we hide. And then community, kindom, is this sense of no, we can be ourselves, we can be loved. And that's what Jesus is saying in this passage over and over again. He's like, like, I'm fully human. I'm your sibling. Talk to me. I, I, I see you. I, mm -hmm. I see what it's like to be you. Uh, this week I was um, at an event up in Los Angeles and I was uh, mixing around. There, there were a bunch of people there and I sat down at this table and uh, it turns out the, the woman next to me, she wanted to talk. And uh, she said to me, she said, I'm, I'm Buddhist, um, but, uh, but I understand you're a Christian. And I, I said, yeah. Uh, she said, I have some questions for you. I said, yeah, sure, sure. And she said, um, how do you hear from God? And we... A nice, easy one. Well, yeah, we just start, we'll just start with the kind of the low-hanging fruit. Like, hello, you can't hear from God? What's your problem, you Buddhist? Christians, we got that nailed. <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, she's like, do you hear from God? I'm like, hello, I'm a pastor. Of course I do. <laughs> Silly question. Um, but we, we just, she's, it was just this fantastic conversation where she really wanted to know, she's like, you know, where are the lightning bolts? Uh, she started to listening to some online preachers, which I sort of counseled her against. Um, <laughs> I was like, whew, wow. Um, and, but we started talking a little bit about the Bible and a little bit about who Jesus is. And, 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 and she kept pressing me. Like, well, but how do you, how do you talk to God? And she said, um, she said, well, this, this is what I've been doing. She said, I... I say, God, um, I'm, I may not be very important, but I would like to hear from you. Mm. Can you help me with, with my life? And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, wow. And, we, and I was just like, what, you know, she's in her 60s and, and she's just starting to explore this part of the spiritual journey for her. And I was like, oh, I, I said, you know, they're, they're the lightning bolts when God like out of the blue just strikes. And 
you know, I got a couple of those when I was a teenager, but it's been a long time since I'm in my 50s. I said, mostly, I just feel like I see God in people like you. Mm. I mean, that humility, like you don't, you don't see that much. That honest prayerfulness. Mm. And I had a chance just to, just to bless her and how I met God in her and how she's on the right journey. I mean, this, I mean, this, this is an accomplished woman. She's crying. I'm thinking about crying. I don't cry very well, so I didn't. But, but I'm like, oh, this, this is it. Like, like, this is the spiritual journey. That she's actually having these honest conversations and she's willing to bring in someone else she barely knows. Mm. Yeah, it was just so beautiful. She's she's trying to find Brother Jesus because Papa God seems pretty far away sometimes. And I think, well, that's that's a journey. So I gave her my email to stay in touch and you know we'll see where that goes. But um, there's a sense in which when we get in touch with what's really going on in here and let that out through Christ. To God, and then we let that out in courage to others. That's where we get the freedom from the shame. Brene Brown, uh, who's a Christian herself, um, she she's a therapist also, but she writes this: true belonging is the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness both in being part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. Jesus says he's not ashamed to call us siblings. Jesus is not ashamed of us. Mm. He's not ashamed of you. He knows who you are. He actually likes you. <laughs> Calls you beloved. Wants to talk with you. And in his presence and in the kingdom that he creates, there is no shame.